0: Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I would like you to focus in on verses 13 through 18. And from this passage, I will speak on the message of Pray Always with four major points of exposition from the text. We pray this every Sunday, Lord's Day, when we speak of comforting the afflicted for our congregation. This is the passage that is in my notes that I read every week to you extemporaneously as we pray and as I have done with one other of those prayers thus far of the five Today I take up the second one, and it is this one. If any one of you among you is suffering, then he must pray. If anyone is cheerful, he is to sing praises. If any one among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. For the effectiveness, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let us pray. (laughs) Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of our heart being enlightened, we may know the hope that you have called us to in Christ, that we may know of his glorious inheritance among us and the greatness of his power of those who believe of us. And it is because of this, almighty God, I stand appointed a preacher and a teacher in faith and truth, asking you, as I have already prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock, in my Redeemer. Amen. This passage of Scripture is, concerns us today with this simple command. Pray always. Pray always. James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. There is much context ...that comes to this passage, which prior to this deal with worldliness, much worldliness. From verse 11 of chapter 4 to James chapter 5 verse 6, he speaks of the things of what is going on in the hearts of people who are worldly. Then when you go to chapter 5 verse 7 you move into this final portion of the book because James is giving in this passage, in this book, his concluding remarks in a powerful exhortation which he wants to leave ringing in the ears of his readers. And as we have seen him do before, actually in chapter 1, these final words that he speaks are spoken of at the very beginning of the book. And if you look at the passage from verses 7 through 12, you will will see these very exhortations that if you go to the beginning of James, you will see they are there listed again or previously. So now he is making his final conclusion. He is giving the valedictory of the book. He is telling, after teaching all of this wisdom and exhortation, And giving warning, he is saying, this is why. He is saying what leaders say today as they prepare talks. So what? This is now the so what. This passage has a main message which is crystal clear. It is crystal clear. But yet, in this little book... It is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture, and at the same time, it is one of the most controversial Scripture passages in the New Testament for the modern church. It is what some call historically the auricular confession, the auricular confession, that is the confessions of our sins through a priest. Under which they come to the sacrament known as the extreme unction, or the last rites, that is, are observed in Rome. It is to justify the practice of last rites, where a priest will anoint and give prayers in a specific form and formula of words over somebody who is dying. But not only is it that way from the ancient church, but in modern days, this is also used as an appeal by faith healers. But a closer look will reveal that James is teaching us, instead of here, not an auricular confession and not a faith healing, but it reveals a prayer which is a means of grace a prayer that is a means of grace that is this is an instance where God uses his children to be specifically used as appointed instruments whereby they convey the benefits of Christ to believers who believe in faith to receive it It is why all of us when we have gathered with one who has set out to pray for us in earnest we rise or leave always feeling better because we have been made better because what has taken place is we have not experienced an extreme unction we have maybe not even experienced the, the the relief for which we have prayed, but we have received that which is greater. We have received the grace of Christ from a fellow believer. A means of grace. Not a means of saving grace, but a means nonetheless of grace. And if you look at this passage, go over here to James chapter 1 and look at verses 3 through 5. James 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces in Endurance, And let endurance have the perfect results that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. But any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting for who, one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed for the wind. For that man is not expected that he will receive anything from the Lord. So you already see in the passage... From the very beginning of the verse, this most controversial phrase, the prayer of faith, has already been introduced. It is a prayer that is not known by its result, but by its action. Not known by its result, but by its access. Not known by its outcome, but by its observance, the prayer of faith. Now how is it that you and I can pray in faith? Because we pray in the name above all names. We pray in the name of the name of which the angels do not know as intimately as we do. We pray in the name that is above every name. We pray in the name that at His name, every knee in heaven, on the earth, and beneath the earth will bow. We pray in the name that every tongue in heaven, on the earth, and beneath the earth, will declare Jesus Christ the Lord. And if our faith is weak, he has even taught us, Oh God, help me, my unbelief. For there is power in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, in this passage, in its larger context, James speaks about patience and prayer. Throughout the book, he calls us Christians to endure trials. He's calling us to be patient. He calls us to do so with prayer and even with rejoicing. He's done all of that until you get to verse 13 of chapter 5 and then the kickstand is put down and he brings the bike to a stop. In this passage in verses 7 through 12 for example he mentions patience. Let's look at it beginning in verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one ...or so, that you yourselves would be not judged. Behold, the judges standing at the door right there. And in his example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the promise, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing of the Lord. is full of compassion, merciful, and above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by the earth... Or any other oath, but by your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under judgment. You have so many times mentioned here this word patient, and now it is mentioned the same number of times, yet the word prayer in verses 13 through 18. Prayer requires patience. Sometimes it is our patience that drives us to prayer, or rather the lack of it. Now I have always contended one should not pray for patience for God is ever zealous to answer that prayer. But I would tell you this, James is going back over this again not only to say we're to be patient but he tells us we're to pray always and as someone who is said to be to to me at the door once recently at church This is the idea that we hang on and call for air support. We come here and we say, Almighty God, we are in a jam, we are in a bind, we are in a time of trouble or tribulation. Oh God, our loved one is hurting, our finances are broken, our this or our that. Oh Lord, send in the cavalry, send in the air support. That's what prayer is. Calling in air support. Well, I want you to notice something. There are four things in this passage that are truly, easily grasped of. You can grab a hold of them. You can hang your coat on these four pegs or your hat. And I want you to see the first one in verse 13 describes the praying Christian. Verse 13, when we're talking about pray always, the passage describes number one, the praying Christian. Now I wish to give you a summary statement, and that is this, a a statement of application. The whole of Christian life is to be lived in communion with God. The whole of Christian life is to be lived in communion with God, the good and the bad, all manifested by prayer. I confirm that. All manifested by prayer. The whole of Christian life is to be lived in communion with God, the good and the bad, manifested by prayer. So in verse 13, he says this, If anyone among you is suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Now, It's going to get harder in the message, but this message is very clear. Every circumstance that we face in life, we are to pray. The whole of Christian life is to be lived in communion with God. Communion with God. The good and the bad is to be lived in communion with God. And the joyful and the heartbreaking and the heartbreaking in the Christian life is to be lived in the communion with God. And the bounty and the emptiness is to live holy in the communion with God. The masses of friends and the loss thereof and loneliness is to be lived in communion with God. James says if any one of you is suffering, what does he say? Let him pray if you're suffering. If anyone is cheerful, are things going well? Has God blessed you beyond your imagination? What is the, what is the proper response? Sing praises. James's response to suffering for the Christian is not simply be patient and hang on. I'm afraid too many believe that is all he has to say. Be patient and hang on. But he practically here says, pray. In chapter 1, he says it's producing character and perseverance in you. Hang on and keep hanging on. But at the end of the book, he he bookends it. And he says, but that's not all. Pray. So what can we understand at this point? Christian, the praying Christian, here it is. You ready? It is always appropriate to pray. It's always appropriate to pray. Are the Cowboys playing today? Are they playing tomorrow? Are they going to play this year? It is appropriate to pray. No, I heard Dr. Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of the 20th century, said, the one urge that should never be resisted in a Christian is the urge to pray. Oh, I can think of all the urges I have to resist. Twinkies and ding-dongs and ho-hos, powdered donuts, Little Debbie's, Should be called little demons. All the urges I resist and I do and I bear witness to God before Mary Jo. But the one urge we should never resist is the urge to pray. Pray when you're suffering. Pray when you're rejoicing. Prayer and praise. Praise, acknowledge that God is sufficient to help us, trusting Him with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledging Him. Prayer, and He will make your paths straight. It is actually this truth. Why? Because the Christian life is to be consecrated by prayer to God so that every pleasure is hallowed and every pain is sanctified. We pray before we eat our meals. but We should pray many more times because everything is to be hallowed. Everything is to be sanctified. We are to live the Christian life that every, ple- every pleasure we are able to experience is made holy by our acknowledgment Acknowledgement that it comes from the very hand of the Father. Lord, I don't deserve these children that you've given me. Yet, Lord, I praise you. I don't deserve, Almighty God, the wife that you have given me, this husband that you've given me. So, Almighty oh, God, I praise you. I don't deserve the job that you've given me that you retain me in, but I love it and I praise you for it. Oh, God, I didn't deserve the windfall that I received this year when other people are going really through economic times that are tough. And so I praise you. And I don't deserve the kind of friends, Almighty God, that do not abandon me and do not leave me and know me for who I am. And yet, Almighty God, I praise you for them. Do not the examples go on and on and on. But James doesn't just say the case is in seasons of rejoicing. He says it in seasons of suffering. Of suffering. That we are to pray to the Lord in those seasons of suffering. You will never, brothers and sisters, ever see the work of sanctification, this side of heaven, in your life unless you suffer. This has nothing to do with the false teaching of the prosperity gospel. This has nothing to do with the charismatic renewal, for there is to be no suffering. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said, the student is not above his master. I suffer, so you shall suffer too, but fear not the world, for I have overcome the world. Your faith will never grow until it is tested. The Bible in the Old Testament says that God's elect are like the cedars of Lebanon. He didn't call them like the rose bushes of the, of the Arboretum. He said like the cedars of Lebanon that grow from stone, that it withstand every kind of torrent of nature known to man, whether it be fire or famine, whether it be fall or snowfall, whether it be drought or flood, regardless they stand and continue to stand and will keep standing because they were not planted by man but by God Himself in a dry and desolate place to give shade to those for whom He has designed them. And they suffer and stand. It is truly the reason to apply it to our great United States of America. Our military is like none other in the world. They do not take our men out and women out and put them in a spa and rub their feet with oil and trim their nails and give them massages. They break them completely there is no personal pronoun, I, left. And to where they become a unit and then they become a force and a force for constitutional republic good. The advancement of man's right to be free at the cost of blood. The Chinese will not fight us for a bowl of rice. The Russians will not fight us for the lack of Levi jeans and Marlboro cigars and cigarettes. Did you know one of the reasons the Ukrainian pilots are able to shoot the Russian pilots out of the sky and they're about to have our United States (laughs) F-16s? Do you know what Russian pilots train, their fighter pilots train? Aerial demonstration. They spend their time practicing how to do aerial demonstrations like the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. We have a fighting force that is so big that we can afford to have a squadron called the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels that while they do their aerial demonstrations across this country showing the grandness of our volunteer military and helping young boys and girls dream dreams bigger than they ever imagined. Every one of those pilots is combat ready, and every one of those airplanes is completely prepared to have strapped on it whatever weapon is necessary to go and promote the freedom that is man's moral right to have. There is no place on earth like us And it is because there is a seed of Lebanon that has been planted here called the church. And those churches that have not sold out to another gospel, who have not sold out to being woke, who have not sold out to preserving their institution instead of building people up to sacrifice their lives for the work of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you there is great reason to have hope. Because in those congregations that are preserved and have godly men, fallen they may be, that stand weekend and week out faithfully with a burden in their heart to help improve the lives of their hearers every week, ever so smallly, there is within those congregations people who pray regularly. Christians are always to pray, not just in times of joy, but in times of suffering. It would be well good for us to remember this day when you leave to go pray for Jean Sparkman because of this issue with cancer that has reared its head again. I know her, I think, as well as any pastor has ever known her. I know I've been her pastor the longest, And I know I have disagreed with her more than any church member I've ever had, ever. But we are friends, and I love her, and I honor her. My heart breaks that she suffers so. And so we pray for her personally. But this passage would speak for something else. Not only always pray as the Christian to pray, but number two, number two, the elders are to pray. The elders are to pray. You first have the praying Christian. Number two, you have the praying elders. See, the Christian life is one of community and is dependent upon the Spirit. Write that down. The Christian life is one of community and is dependent upon the Spirit. Look at verses 14 through 15. If anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins they will be forgiven him you see in this passage the praying elders now the passage here really gets hard because in this passage James instruction to us is that in times of dire need we need to show our dependent listen we need to show our dependence first in times of dire need we need to show our dependence first we do not need to show our independence first. It is because we show our independence first that we get into the dire straits to begin with. Friends, listen. I am a convert of this truth. We are in this together. We are not in this alone. I really believe one of the reasons I lost First Baptist Church Gainesville is because I was independent instead of dependent. I was withdrawn (coughs) instead of involved. I stood back instead of being in front. And that unnerved people. And what happened to me? I came to a place of dire straits that only the dependence on others delivered Me through it by God's grace. And here stand we, nearly ten years later, with peace across the street with every last one. And peace and a future and a good hope standing here. Listen to me. In times of need, we know to we need to show our dependence first on the communion of the saints, and then second, or equally as much, our second upon our God. And what better way to do this than we call upon the leaders of the church to pray upon us. Now this has not happened yet. But we have done it and taken it upon ourselves to go do it. But I have yet to be called. Would you please bring the leaders and the oil and pray over me? I am not faulting anyone for this. If anyone would be at fault for such a a thing as that, it would be me because I know I wouldn't do it. But I must do what Scripture says, and so I have to confess that sin and repent of it. It's not, Pastor, why didn't you come? It's, Why, friend, didn't you call? I didn't know you went to the emergency room. Ah, you're too busy. Brothers and sisters, what does this passage say to you? I told you it was harder. It's not theologically harder. It's much more practically harder. Why? Because we want to be independent. It is the American way to be independent. But are we not learning right now? Are we not learning in this country right now that independence from each other does not work? Are we learning right now that we truly should love our neighbor as ourselves? We see a divided country because you have a divided church that doesn't know how to depend on one another. I live with a woman who is a human doing. I do not fault her for that. If she wasn't a human doing, I would live in a swamp. I would be unhealthy. I would be uncared for, unkept, unloved. She is a human doing. Those of you that pray with her every week, you know this to be true because she prays that God would cause us, help us to see, to favor us, to do, to do, to do. The other day, a brother mentioned, I asked him about what he might be willing to receive as a gift from me if I may have the gift of him running my weed eater and lawnmower over my yard. The exchange was approved Until Kelly saw it. And she said, I will have Shelly teach me how to run the weed eater in zero turn. And you can pay me to do it. I said, I did not ask for this to be done to add to your plate of work. Truett's got a girlfriend and is too busy. He won't do it for so cheap. And you don't know how to do it because I'll wind up having to do it. And she could not take it and get her mind around it because she's a human doing. I am a human being, on the other hand. That's why I can take naps. I'm just a person. I'm just me. A life in progress. I got called the other day by a seminary that I applied to a year ago and was accepted to their doctoral program. This is news to you, and I never went. You say, why do you need another doctorate? That's exactly why they, what they asked me when I went there. I had the highest degree of even the teacher in the classroom. Why are you here? And they said, are you going to come? They said, we'll pay half your way. I don't know, but let me be. If it is for the benefit of the kingdom, then so be it. But it must be for the benefit of the journey above all things because it is where our heart and being is. And unfortunately, the preacher's wife is a doer and the preacher is a being, and it works. But I will tell you, in our home, we would be the last ever to say, would you please come pray for us? And this is a sin I openly confess to you before God asking your forgiveness and asking you also to not do likewise. No greater thing is than when the men can come and pray over you and offer prayers from the heart. This is a sign of the community of the church. The Christian life not only is dependent upon each other and the community but listen it is one that is dependent upon the Lord Because as the text says, these men, these leaders, they come and they pray in the name of God and it is dependent upon the work of the Spirit. It is not the prayer. It is not the prayers. It is the work of the Spirit. And what better way to manifest the reliance on the one hand in the communion of the saints and the reliance on the other, in the other hand, upon the Lord. You have a perfect balance to call the elders together to pray with you in whatever serious circumstance you find yourself in. James's word here in verse 14, if you are seriously ill, what should we do? What is it speaking of seriously ill? The other day on Thursday, I honestly believe I had AIDS, cancer, rubella. Um, I had uh, hemorrhagic fela, fever, probably Ebola, and was probably running about 99.1. And I raided my drawer of amoxicillin, penicillin, vancomycin, black hoof, everything, and I just started shooting myself up with stuff. I'm a regular veterinarian, and listen, that stuff works. It was expired in 1998, but that's what you buy when you go to Mexico. It's the same stuff. <clears throat> and ever since, and it works for me, because I've had so many COVID shots, I can find it at night. without turning the lights on, I still grow it glow in the dark. And I didn't go get COVID tested because I didn't want to do that, and I didn't dare wear a mask Wednesday night. I'd rather infect all of you than make some kind of political statement. I know I'm a human being. To me, that's all silly, you understand. But, brothers and sisters, do we need to wait to call the minister when you're dying? That's what the Romans do. They call for the priest when you're dying. No. Don't wait till you're dying to call for the community of the church to come together, for the elders to come, and the power of God to pray over you. Don't wait till that moment, because it's too late. Say, well, James, you're enough of a Baptist. You believe in the deathbed conversion. I do, but we're not talking about conversion. We're talking about continuation. We're talking about living. You say, what's that got to do with you taking all those drugs on Thursday? Well, there was one drug I told Kelly to administer. She wouldn't do it. She, well, what's that drug? It's called 6 Sour 365. So what's a 6 Sour 365? It's a nine millimeter, right between the eyes. Now there have been many times she's wanted to do that. And it lies ready next to the bed. But I told her I hadn't paid the premium on the life insurance policy, so she thought perhaps he'll get better. No. Listen to me. Don't wait. Even though I give you this levity, this is a very hard point for us to practice this interdependence. Promise me before God you will not let it ever pass again the opportunity to have people come and minister to you. Let it inconvenience us. I promise we will return the favor. Let it inconvenience us. It's not our job. Listen, it's our duty before God. Why? Because God wants to strengthen the body more. You say well, the elders would only go to the clique. Got news for you, and all of you are regulars. There is no click in this church. We have managed of many things. We've kept committees out and clicks out. Amen? Now, there are several questions in this passage I want to just ask. How sick do you have to be before you call the elders? And what is this stuff about prayer? Faith will restore you. You mean that the elders are always going to be answered no? Not the way they may pray, but they are going to be answered with a yes, no, or a wait. Now, what does it mean when it says your sins will be forgiven? Well, let's see if we can touch on it quickly. Let me show you something. One, notice that the elders come to this person. Apparently the person is sick enough that he's not able to come to the elders. So here's what, here is the definition of it. If you cannot attend worship regularly, you should call the elders. If you are continuing to contribute to the church financially, you are continuing to receive the literature of the church, you are continuing to stay somehow in contact with the church, but you cannot physically attend church regularly particularly to receive communion you need to call for the elders that's how sick you have to be so that means well i'm not sick i had a hip replacement okay by the way pray for He's going to have a hip replacement i guess we'll be going and taking a 10w30 over to his house secondly notice that the elders do all the praying here There's no indication that this person is joining in the prayer that they have to participate. Number three, James uses for the sick indicates either prolonged or grave illness. Number four, notice in the passage, in contrast to Jesus' healing passages in the Gospels, the sick person is not called upon to exercise faith. The sick person is not, listen, the sick, look, look, the sick person is not called on to speak. The sick person is not called on to exercise faith. The sick person is only called on to do what? Call. That's it. Pretty good. Now doesn't that mean that this person shouldn't exercise faith? Well, apparently, look who he's writing. Look at the previous verses, 7 through 12. Of course he is. Look at the beginning of the book. Of course he is. Or she is. But it's just saying this person is at a low point in their life... And nothing is being asked of this other person other than that the elders come. And how many times in this last year have I shown you in studying the Scriptures, particularly the Ten Commandments, what were you supposed to do? Nothing. And let God do it. Just believe, and He does the rest. We've built this humongous superstructure of doing because we're human doings. Instead of realizing we are not objects of God's affection, we are persons of God's affection. He sees us as we are, good and the bad and the ugly, and says, my grace is sufficient for you. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly, meek, Learn from me, he says. In the lowest point, then he tells us here, call for the elders. They have enough faith. They have enough speech. They have enough belief. And you will know that what is prayed will be answered. What a, who else has that? Who of who these rich people out here that own empire, that don't belong to a body of faith, what do they have? Jose Cuervo? What do the poor have? Schlitzmaut liquor bull? I told you this Wednesday or last Sunday, did you know the poorest man on earth and the richest man on earth have one thing in common? You know what it is? Neither one has enough. You can be the richest man in the world, but if it's not enough for you, you will not stay the richest man in the world. And if you're the poorest man in the world, it is not enough for you. But we who are in Christ, who do we have? We have the church, we have Christians that pray. We have elders that pray, but then there is something else in here. And I'm just going to go on to the third one. We have friends. Praying friends. I will delineate this and speak to you later on the prayer of faith. Look at verse 16. It says this, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now, Tommy knows this. Bill White knew this, George knows it, Robert knows it, David knows it, Rick knows it, it is very hard, to. Truett knows it, Larry for sure knows it, it's very hard to be a friend of a pastor and the reason I say pastor is to be my friend because one of the things I make my male friends endure is the confession of my sins. Sins that absolutely undo me and ruin me. This year, one that almost took me to the end. You say, how can you do that? Because Christ commands it. Do I receive their confessions? Absolutely not. They have not volunteered them and I'm not going to them to hear theirs. If, they want to hear, if I want to hear theirs, they'll come to me. But I can sit there and talk to them about anything, some more than others. Bill was the great confessor. This passage says, go confess your sins to somebody else. He doesn't say go confess your sins to a priest, for instance, nor does he say to get together in a small group and talk about your problem of what you and your friends have had to say. This isn't an AA meeting of where you gather around and you say we're Sins Addicted Anonymous. Well, you should have known the sin I committed last week. Oh, you ain't heard nothing yet. I committed this one a week ago. I ran a red light without wearing my (gasps) seatbelt. driving with Truett, which you need a parachute when you do that. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you, this is the point, I'm just going to boil this down and end it to the fourth point. If you can be so earnest and honest to pray with one another about your sin, then let me ask you this. Is there anything then you cannot pray about with your friend? I can tell you this, and I do not boast of this, but it is the way I am made, and it will be the legacy I may leave behind, if there is one. I may just leave a behind, but I can tell you how to be a friend. I can teach you how to be a friend, and I can tell you and teach you how to have good friends because there are people on this earth if they have one good friend they are better than most I can count a handful that I know that if I died this moment it would be a race amongst the brothers who would get to my house first to help my family and they would do it not in memory of me. They would do it because what God has joined together man cannot put asunder. You say, well that's for husband and wives. No, that was David and Jonathan. And see, when you can come to the place as this scripture says that you confess your sins to one another. Now, let's say you go to somebody and you say, I, I have a secret sin that I'm struggling with confessing. Okay, okay. Do you want to confess it here because I don't want to hear it no I don't but I want you to know it's something that is that is break it, it would ruin me okay well then let's just pray about this ruinous sin and let's gather together and pray about this ruinous sin many a meal I shared with one of our members long ago at the Taiwan buffet which is a born-again experience And I watched, and and one can bear witness to it because this person will know for which I speak. Not the one I prayed with. But disaster had met this family one morning with a discovery of the most heinous sort, the kind that ruins futures and I said I will help and so I began slowly lovingly with what is known as unconditional positive regard it's where when you go to help somebody whatever they've done you make sure they understand you love them and accept them no matter what now this is a tall order if you're dealing with somebody that's beaten somebody or child molestia. there is no positive regard for anyone like that for me. I will not even see you. God can send someone else. But in this case I began and this person to this day because of the restoration God brought knitting our hearts together in that of darkest moments restored that which he had forfeited God, in his glory, has blessed beyond what this person ever thought this person would ever deserve. And I still get a Father's Day card to this day for that ministry. And we're friends. And I'm his pastor. Or her pastor. Brothers and sisters, that's what's always made us unique here. This is... You know, they say that churches take on the personality of their pastors. Well, thank God that the pastor at First Baptist Church Gainesville 2011-2014 died and it's not the same pastor that is now the pastor of the journey. Because I don't know of a more loving people, but there's work to be done. It's one thing for us. We got ladies here pray every week. I mean, they, they, scared, they won't take a paycheck to come pray. But we have work to do and that is to call for prayer. Another one though is to call for the elders to pray. And another one then is this, to trust each other. Find that friend and confess it. You don't have to sit there and say, well I lusted three times yesterday and I overate four times the day before and I ran a speed light and I did this and I, I wanted to stop by the still on Broadway and buy some wild turkey 101 and drink half a bottle of it just for fun and do all this." No. I'm talking about being real. And then I want to show you real, what it really looks like. Number four, in this passage of praying always, you see the praying Christian, the praying elder, the praying friend. And then oddly enough, the passage ends with the praying prophet. Do you notice how the passage ends? James is very wise. He is the Solomon of the New Testament. These are his proverbs. And he says in verses 16, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, and then he says Elijah. And Elijah, by the way, is not mentioned in the hall of faith. But he was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Elijah was a man of like nature as ours. What? Selfish? Independent, and unfriendly. Elijah, Chuck Swindoll's book on Elijah is the greatest book I've ever read on Elijah. If you can find it, read it, if you'd like to borrow it, I will loan you mine. On pain of death that you return it. Death of a cat, I'm sure. Elijah was a man of our nature, fallen, selfish, independent, unfriendly, human. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And what happened? It didn't. And when he prayed that it would, what did it do? It did. When you read the story of Elijah, did you know he only did three things? In his whole story, the whole account of Elijah, there are only three things he did. Most of the time he was running. But when he stopped long enough, usually people died. Except one was raised from the dead the son of the widow of Zarephath. The rest of the time he ran. And then people bled or died or got eaten by dogs. And so here you have Elijah and it says, then he prayed again and the sky poured rain on the earth and it produced fruit. I want you to focus on the word righteous. Look at me. None of us are prophets. But we've been made righteous by the one whose spirit is the spirit of prophecy, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not doubt for a moment that if you should decide to take this biblical truth, to live in communion always with God by prayer in those which are the summits of life and the valleys of the shadow of death, In the greatest sickness when you cannot attend church that you send for others to pray for you. To the place you're so overcome inside with your own sinfulness and your own brokenness that you no longer want to bear it alone but there is a friend that God has provided that you can share with. Whether the gory details or not is not important. But is someone there to pull with you you say how can I do that because you have been made righteous to pray always why because the union with Christ was for the purpose of bringing you to communion with God and no greater sign wonder power or privilege can be named or seen among men than a person who prays. I want to give you a challenge. If you do not feel challenged enough, this hit me this morning. It was kind of causing me to pace a bit. And I'm even nervous giving it. I'm somewhat nervous giving it because of my expectations but on the other hand the benefits outweigh my lack of faith. Brothers and sisters, I make myself willing to you as your friend and I am your friend. As an elder and as your pastor, and as a Christian. If any of you in this house have a broken relationship with anyone else in this house or in your family that is not related to this house, I want to invite you to come and call me. I will come to you. You can come to me and I will get on my knees and I will ask God to restore what has been stolen from you. In relationship, I am not aware of any bad blood or relationship in the journey. But if there is one, I am willing to pray for its resolution. I will be surprised, but hey, we live in a fallen world. But if I make this offer, though, to you in your family or at your work, I would be privileged to be in your presence, on my knees, demonstrating obediently, inconvenienced, to bring your concern before God. Because I believe this with all of my heart. Look at me. I could call any one of you this afternoon at any moment, and you would do no less for me. I believe this. I just want you to know I'd do it for you. Don't make us have to call you. You call us. Whatever the need is, because there are people in this room that can tell you I'm not going to name the one for whom I prayed for, but I will tell you because I've mentioned Rick before. Rick got laid off from Sifron years ago. God laid him off for a reason. It was to eat breakfast with me. For him to have his faith expanded, for him to see the Bible in a new way, I've let Rick move into this office over here, right across this place, and this is what he told me yesterday. He said, I come up here, he comes up here all week and he sits here and reads. He's been very nervous about people knowing he has a key. When things start missing, we'll, we'll know. <laughs> He's stealing paper cups. Please take them. But he also buys your coffee. Sets up the ministry center every week. Moves the chairs. Sweeps the floor. Puts out the bulletins. and the, the, It's an hour's worth of work with busted shoulders and a hip that needs to replace." And I'm probably going to get throbbed here in a minute, and he's just going to have to get over it. But he says, I come up here, and I sit in this place, and there's something different in this place. I said, there's nothing different in the place. It's you've come to a place where there's absolutely no distraction. Every one of us can find one of those places. Mine happens to be in the front seat of my Chevy. After all, it's a Chevrolet. It's a holy place but it's in the front place of my Chevy. Or when I'm by myself, it's the blue chair back there. Have you that blue, beautiful office in there with all that leather furniture and you sit in that blue chair with that cheap cover over it? Because there's something. But the, one of the reasons why it's so neat up here is because I remember Connie and Mary Jo and others would come up here long ago and we would gather around people and we would pray for them like we used to. And great things would happen. We don't need to repeat those things today. We just need to practice what the Word says. Pray always. Got an elevator the other day. A man says, You going down? I said, No, sir. I'm going up. He said, You're a preacher? I said, Yes. He got off the elevator. No, sir! (laughs) Folks, we're all going up. Let's go up together. Let's go up together with each other on our hearts. Pray for one another without ceasing. You know what? That's the purpose of the sanctification. The sanctification prayer we pray every week is for this purpose that we do not forget to remember each other in our prayer. Oh, the future that's before us. You look at this room this morning, you say, Where is everybody? They're out there. But folks, two churches in this area have just lost their pastors. We need to pray for those congregations, and God is gonna see those people as dispirited sheep without a shepherd. And they have had good ministers too. And he's gonna and they're gonna wonder, oh God, now what? And God's gonna say, Not to all of them, but some of them. He's gonna say, you know there might be a place where you could fit. They'll pray for you. They'll love you. You don't have to worry about church. You just get to be church. And you come as you are. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter what you did. What matters where you're going. And can we go with you? That's what we have together. In the name of Jesus Christ, these are His words for us today. I believe May they be received in the power of his might, not in the skill of my tongue. O God, our Redeemer. Amen. Would you stand?